Heavenly Father, we come before you and before your word as we do every Sunday to receive from you the truth that we need, to humble ourselves before you, to consider our lives and our thoughts and our hearts, and, and to ask that your spirit would change us, would work in us, would, would lead us into truth, would, would remind us the truth when we need it would would help us to see ourselves rightly and we pray that right now as we as we do that as we come to your word god that you would um, you would bless it and that the holy spirit would be here working in us for your purposes of our sanctification we pray all this in jesus name amen amen you may be seated it's good to be with you this afternoon. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Zoe. If this is your first time or uh, you're visiting, thank you for being with us. It's good to be with you. Um, this uh, Sunday, we're, we're continuing our series through the book of Proverbs, talking about different aspects of wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs 18, okay? So we're going to be in Proverbs 18, and we are going to jump around a lot. So you're going to get a little bit of finger exercise uh, today. We're going to look at different Proverbs. Uh, as we talked about a lot, the Proverbs don't... Um, come as kind of like a one whole chunk. Actually, a lot of Proverbs starting from chapter 10 and beyond, uh, they're kind of individual Proverbs. So you can look at them um, individually. You don't have to necessarily look at a whole chapter at a time. But we're going to be in Proverbs 18, first of all. So just get there, put your finger there. Um, but before we get there, I'm going to start my sermon in an unconventional way, a way I never have done before, I think, um, which is to tell you a riddle, okay? I'm going to tell you a riddle. It's an old one. So if you already know the answer to the riddle, don't say it out loud. Just sit there and smile, okay? Um, but here's the riddle. Imagine that you are in a room, and you are being kept prisoner in that room, and there are two doors that lead out of the room, and there are two guards. Uh, one of the doors will lead to your freedom. The other door will lead to your certain death, okay? So there's, there's like an executioner behind one door. The other door is just freedom, so you get to walk out. Now, you only get to open one door, but here's the trick. You also get to ask the two guards one question. One guard will always tell the truth. The other guard will always lie. Okay? Hopefully you're tracking with me. So if you ask one guard, whatever you ask him, he's going to tell you the truth. The other guard is always going to lie to you, but you don't know which guard is which. Now, the two guards, they know what's behind both doors. They know about each other, but you don't have all that information. So you get one question. Lying guard, truth-telling guard, two doors, you don't know what's behind which. One question to ask that will set you free. What is it? Don't say it out loud. What is the answer? You can think about it for a moment. I'm going to have the worship team come up and play us for 20 minutes so you can just... Uh, get in your head. I'll tell you the answer later. Don't worry. Um, but the reason why I tell you this riddle is I wanted us to spend just a few moments at the beginning of this message imagining a situation where the words that come out of your mouth are of utmost importance. That the things that you're going to say can literally lead to life or death can leave you trapped in that prison or freed to go out and live the way you're supposed to live. See, in my experience, we have a tendency as people to not think very much about our speech on a day-to-day -day basis. We give little thought to the consequences, the results of the words that come out of our mouths and sometimes out of our fingers, so to speak. And it makes sense because we all talk a lot, right? I was looking up online and I don't know how 
realistic this is. It sounds realistic to me, but uh, they said that the amount of words that a person speaks each day are, are in the 10,000 range, which is incredible. Right? We speak so many words, it's just as easy as breathing. We read words, we say words, we make words all the time. They seem so fleeting and small. But in this riddle, with the two doors and the one question, it makes obvious sense to us that if we were in that situation, our words would be consequential. Our words would be extremely weighty. So what's the answer? Um, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I don't want you Googling on your phones while I'm preaching. So the answer is this. Okay, this is like the classical answer. Um, the question you should ask is, which door would the other guard say leads to freedom? Okay, so how does this work? If you ask the lying guard, he will tell you that the truth-telling guard will point to the door leading to death because he's, he's lying to you, right? And if you ask the truth-telling guard, he will tell you the lying guard will point to the door that leads to death. So both guards will point to the door leading to death no matter what. Either way, you choose the other door, you walk to your freedom. If you don't understand what I'm saying, just Google it later. Not right now, okay? Google it later. It's an oldie but a goodie. That's the answer to the question. That's the answer to the riddle. But it also gives an illustration of what we're going to talk about today. You see, this idea of your words having the power of life and death is biblical. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18.21. You can look there. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Flip back. Just a few pages to Proverbs 14.3. The Proverbs say, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. The lips of the wise will preserve them. In other words, what we need to see this afternoon is that the things that come out of your mouth, the things that are formed on your lips, the words that you type with your hands, have incredible power to either lead to life or to death, to lead to blessing and freedom, or to lead to pain and punishment. They can curse or they can bless, your words are incredibly important. So if you want to live better, and that's what we've been talking about in this whole series on wisdom this summer, if you want to live better according to the Bible, then you need to get better at speaking. So we're going to look at a number of Proverbs today, but we're going to break down our, our entire talk into three key ideas that come from the wisdom of the Bible. Three things to consider to get better at speaking, and the first thing is to consider what you speak, to consider what you speak, to think about the content of your words. When we think about content, it turns out the Bible has a lot to say about the kinds of things that shouldn't be said by those who want to be wise. Proverbs 26:28. again, you can look there if you can flip there quickly. Proverbs 26:28. a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruins. And so the Proverbs talks about these two types of speech that overall in the Bible are, are constantly condemned. Right, lying and flattery, deceiving people in various ways. Both of these come under fire in the Proverbs many times. The Bible tells us, and this is just like basic like Christianity 101, the Bible tells us that God doesn't like when we lie. How many of us have had a, a discussion with someone else in the past or maybe recently uh, about whether or not it's justifiable for like someone in Nazi Germany to lie about Jews in their basement. 
And that's like the, the classic example of trying to figure out when is it okay to lie. And I used to have these discussions all the time when I was younger, uh, all the way through young adulthood, because it was so interesting to me to find out if I could find a way around the clear command of Scripture that, that God just doesn't like lying. And we have to understand, it's not just about the things uh, that we say being factually untrue, okay? It's not just about you saying something that is not in line with reality. What the Bible has in mind when it talks about lying is a lie that deceives to harm, a lie that is selfish, a lie that turns people into victims. That's kind of what's in mind here. So when the Proverbs tell us that God hates lying, when Psalms 34 tells us that we need to keep our lips from deceit, what it's talking about is selfish and sinful deception. And this is why lying and flattery are mentioned together often. The term for flattery in the Bible is a term that really just means smooth speech. So, so maybe you're thinking, I'm not a liar. I don't go around telling blatant lies. I hope you don't. But flattery, which comes along with lying a lot of times, is smooth speech, which has a different kind of connotation. You guys know how um, sand is kind of like coarse and rough and irritating? Flattery is the opposite of that. Okay, flattery is a smooth talker. It's someone who wants to say things in order to butter you up. <clears throat> As I was thinking about the Proverbs this week, um, I realized that more times than I would like to admit, I'm a flatterer. Our culture loves to flatter people, right? To tell things to people that aren't really true, just so they will feel better about you, so you can get what you want. Right? This is the most beautiful person in the world. You are the most gifted person I know. Now, it could sound like encouragement, right? It could sound like you're just trying to be nice. So, so what exactly makes something go from encouragement to flattery? Well, again, flattery is self-serving. Flattery deceives. Flattery isn't others-focused. It's focused on me. Now, when we think about what we say, when we consider the content of our speech, Really what we need to think about, according to the Proverbs, is how much of our words are spoken for the benefit of ourselves or for others. Do we twist the truth? Do we say what others want to hear so that we can get ahead in life? To the Bible, that kind of speech is foolish. Even though, for so many of us, that's just what we were taught to do all our lives. What else do we see in the Proverbs just kind of giving us a baseline for what the content of our speech should and shouldn't be? Well, another type of speech that the Bible often condemns is gossip. Gossip. Proverbs 16, 27. You can turn there too. Proverbs 16, 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer or a gossip separates close friends. According to this proverb, a person who gossips is a worthless, dishonest type of person. See, the idea of whispering, which is how gossip is sometimes translated, it's great. Because the key characteristic of a gossip is someone who speaks in order to create strife. A person whose words cause broken relationships, hurt feelings, secret anger, a person who says things that they know they're probably not supposed to say. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've been brought into a situation where people were in conflict, and it's rare that they're in conflict because of what, some, what someone said to another person. Actually, what's much more common is that the conflict came about because someone heard about what the other person said about them. Someone heard what was being said behind closed doors. 
when you wouldn't want the subject of your speaking to hear. There is a time and place to talk about others. What the Bible tells us is that if your speech about others is something that you are whispering in order to hide it and to protect yourself, then there's a good chance that that is gossip. The easiest litmus test for this, especially if you're a kind of person who likes to talk a lot, is just to think, if the person I'm talking about said the exact same things about me, we're talking in the same way about me, would it cause hurt in our relationship? If it would, the Bible says that that's gossip. The Bible says we need to put away gossip to not speak of others in self-serving, self-serving unkind ways. What else? And, and again, we're just kind of going through, and I know this is hard because these are, they seem basic, but they really conflict, or they conflict with us and they, they confront us. Proverbs eleven twelve, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Belittling words, despising words, making fun of people. The Bible says this shouldn't be coming from our mouths or from our keyboards. And when we think about what wisdom says in the Bible, it's interesting because that cliched old saying, right, that, that your mom used to tell you, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, it's not in the Bible. Okay? That's not a biblical proverb per se, but it actually is very biblical in content. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. In other words, you need to consider You need to have restraint. You need to have self-control about what it is you say. When we think about all the things that the Bible says throughout Scripture, but especially in the Proverbs about what we shouldn't be talking about, we really need to take this to heart and not gloss over it. I think it's tempting because we already know these things are wrong. And we see that everyone around us kind of talks in these ways at times. Right? It seems like it's, it's natural. It's normal. It doesn't really seem like it's the biggest deal in the world. And yet the Bible tells us we need to stop. If we want to be wise, if we want to grow in living better according to God, we need to stop and really shine a light on ourselves about what our speech is like. You know, there are some people that you meet who are just, they're so positive by nature, right? You know what I'm talking about? Someone who, they're just like the happiest person and they never say anything negative and, and people love to be around them. But you know what? If you guys know me, that's not me. Okay, that's not who I am naturally at all. In fact, by my natural personality traits, I have been called by people who know me well a hater. I naturally see the faults in others. And this is in every area of life. I see what my kids aren't that good at. I see where my wife didn't do things exactly the way I told her to. Oh, you stacked the dishwasher wrong. I got to tell you all about that. I see every time a person misses church, for those of you online, right? I see all the times that you say something that you shouldn't have said, and I want to talk about it. I naturally see the glass half empty. This person's not discerning enough. This person's not interesting enough to me. This person's not funny enough. This person's not serious enough. This is the way that I naturally am. And so it has been a long, slow, important process for me to realize over time that what the Bible is saying to me, what God is saying in his wisdom, is that sometimes you just don't need to say those hater things. You just don't need to say them. Oftentimes, you shouldn't say those things. Just because we have the right to say everything we want doesn't mean we should. 
This is something I've had to learn and I still have to learn every day. To do so is foolish. To talk without restraint leads to transgression. See, there are words you can speak that lead to death. The Bible says there's also words you can speak that lead to life. See, if you're a Christian, what the Bible tells us is that God is at work in you to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, to use you for his holy purposes. And with the renewing of your mind comes a renewing of your mouth. Ephesians 4.29, New Testament. Paul says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The content of our words ought to be such that it builds people up, that it causes good, that it speaks truth, that it brings peace. These are the types of words that a wise person speaks to others. Back when I was um, working outside the church, and you know, even when I was working in the church to some degree, uh, when I would go out to lunch with my coworkers, what I realized very early on in my career was that there was pretty much one way that lunches tended to go. 99% of the time was that we would sit around and we would complain about the person who was in charge of us in some fashion or form. And maybe you guys have a different experience, but that was my experience. 90% of coworker conversation at lunch was just complaining about this client or this boss or this situation. But if you've ever had a coworker who flipped that switch, who spoke well of others, who was interested in your life, who would uh, ask questions, who would share about good things happening, it was like weird and refreshing. It was unexpected, but it brought life to the group that, that wasn't there before. As Christians, what we say ought to be edifying, truthful, and grace-giving to those who hear. Just as a, as a quick mental exercise, if I were to give you $5 for every edifying conversation you had, and then I would also take away $5 for every foolish conversation you had, what would your bank account look like in a few weeks? Would you be like, I invested in GameStop happy, or would you be like, I'm going to need a little bit more of those positive speeches to get my bank account out of the red? The first thing we need to consider when it comes to the wisdom of our words is what we say. I've never met people, or I've met many people, I should say, who wouldn't ever say a vulgar word who wouldn't ever cuss, who wouldn't ever speak of certain taboo topics. But the Bible says that being better at speech doesn't just stop at the content of what we say. Somehow, we can still find ways to bring pain with our words. And so, what do we make of that? Well, the Bible says that it's not just that we need to consider what we say, but secondly, we need to consider how we speak. We need to consider how we speak. Hopefully, you weren't just thinking about um, that riddle the whole time. Uh, that I gave you in the beginning. But in case you were, well, we're going to circle back to, we're going to pick you up along the way to where we're going next. The answer to that riddle, logically, classically speaking, has been set in stone for a long time because it's an old one, okay? Um, that's the right answer, so to speak. But when I was looking up uh, this riddle online, I found in a forum someone or some people who were giving alternate uh, answers to the riddle. And there was one alternative answer that I thought was just perfect for the sermon today. Uh, this is what the person wrote. He said, for your one question, try this. Ask 
one of the guards in the politest way possible whether they might open up the doors for you so you could get a peek at what's on the other side. And I thought, you know what, that's, that's real wisdom right there. <laughs> you don't need to have a high IQ thinking through all the logic of the situation. Sometimes you just need to say it, ask it in a nice way. Brothers and sisters, there's so much untapped wisdom in the church for those who fail to understand that the way you say things actually matters. The way you say things actually matters. Right? And, and a lot of times in the church and, and in the world, right, people, they just, uh, they'll say things that are hurtful and harmful, and they'll hide behind the fact that, you know, I just spoke the truth. I said it. I only speak the truth. I say it to my wife a lot of times when she's mad about what I said. I said, I only said the truth. But it matters not just that you say the truth, but how you say it. So many people I know, um, they just disregard this reality. But the Proverbs actually talk about it a lot. As a believer in the word of God, there's a tool you have to deal with confrontation, to deal with conflict, to deal with anger. And it comes up in a proverb that my wife and I always quote to our kids, Proverbs 15.1. Turn there, Proverbs 15.1, a famous proverb. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody was angry with you or somebody was disappointed with you and they used a word or they called you a name or they insulted you personally? Did it lead to fruitfulness in your life? Did it lead to blessing? Did it cause something good to happen? If you can remember a situation like that, I'm sure that you know that it didn't. The Bible says that one of the best tools you have in your tool belt to to speak in ways that honor God and bless others and bring life is to speak softly with others, gently. The word here for soft in Hebrew is a word that means gently or or tenderly. There's a whole um, phenomenon nowadays of um, people online calling people Karens. Have you guys heard that? You know, it's kind of offensive if you're named Karen because what's up with that? Um, But... It's a thing, and, and, and I learned about this from Jesse, because Jesse's always up on the pop culture, um, Karens. And what it is is that people take a video of someone in a situation where uh, this person is getting really mad, getting really worked up over a situation they don't like, and is kind of responding in an over-the-top way with their words, right? Threatening or harassing someone or, or just cussing and yelling and mocking. And you, and you see this, and you watch this video, and it seems so, like, crazy. You're like, why is this person going nuts, But so many times, that's exactly how we are in our lives, just without the camera pulled out to record it. We use our words not to speak softly and to turn away anger, but to to stir up conflict and hate. When the Bible tells us that if we want to speak better, then, then the biblical wisdom is that we need to learn to speak more gently. A few years back, I was in line at Kroger. This is only a few years back ago. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, I was going into the self checkout line, there was a lady who was really angry. I don't know why exactly, but um, she was huffing and rolling her eyes and kind of doing like that thing where you loudly whisper, right? So everyone can hear it, even though you're not really talking to anyone. And then what I, I realized was she was loudly whispering to me. And what she was saying was, oh, yeah, go ahead. Just cut in front of me then, right? I was right here. Like, like yeah, just, just uh, I don't know all the things she was whispering, probably not very nice things. Um, 
And when I realized that she was whispering out loud to me, I wanted to say something. I wanted to say, well, first of all, what are you mad about? I got here first. And then I thought, you know what? I have a better thing to say. I was going to say, I'm sure your daughter really admires your patience. I know some of you would want to say the same things too. But in that instance, and I think this is by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God, because this isn't always how I am. I'm not the hero of many stories. But by God's grace, I, I remembered the proverb. And I turned to her and I said something along the lines, very simply, I don't remember exactly, but very simply, I just said, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to cut in front of you. And I remember it so clearly because it was like magic. Okay? It, it was literally like magic. She was huffing and puffing and whispering out loud, rolling her eyes. And when I said that, she, she turned to me and she was like so friendly. It was weird. She was so happy. She was smiling. She apologized to me. She was like, oh, I was having a bad day. You know, uh, do you need to get any more stuff? You know, take your time. She started joking with me as I was trying to get out of the checkout line. I'm trying to leave now and she's still talking. And when I got to my car, I was like, you know what? This is what the Bible is talking about. It was honestly like a revelation to me. I, I believed it. You know, I believed the word of God, but I hadn't really experienced it like that in such a concrete way in a while. That a soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I, I promise you that if I had said the thing about her daughter, she wouldn't have responded in that way. It was a revelation to me to realize that when I feel mad, if I don't speak angrily, then somehow both of us end up less mad in the end. That's the biblical arithmetic here. If I feel angry, but I don't speak harshly, then actually the anger for both of us goes down. This is wisdom, and yet so many of us, and I know because I'm a pastor, and people call me, and they text me when people's words are going crazy, I know that we don't take this to heart. We, we don't take to heart what the Bible is saying. We think that, you know what, when I get angry, I need to say What's on my mind? I need to say how angry I am. I need to push this to the next level. And yet somehow I'm surprised that that leads to strife and hardship and broken relationships in my life. The Bible actually works. And in a world where people are more and more offended about things, more and more angry, more and more aggressive, as Christians, we need to be soft and gentle and tender with the words that we use. A harsh word stirs up anger and hatred and harm. As a Christian sibling, as a Christian parent, as a Christian friend, as a Christian customer, even if you are right, even if what you say is true, the way you say it can dishonor God and lead to harm for everyone involved. So, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to put away harsh words. It doesn't mean you put away the truth, but by the Spirit of God, we ought to be those who speak the truth in love as we grow in maturity. The word for harsh in Hebrew that is used often in the Proverbs is a word that means painful. It's a word that means that it's attacking. It's a word that has to do with hurt. It's a word that's intended to cause harm, intended to provoke, intended to hurt another person. I remember when I was in high school about... Um, to my shame, I often would think about the most hurtful thing I could say to a person if I really was angry with them. I would literally plan it out. What's the thing that would hurt this person the most? 
And again, to my shame, I would often think this way about my parents. And some of you youth here, maybe you understand what I'm saying. I would think, I know my parents pretty well. They talk to me all the time. I know they love the Lord. I know they want me to love him. So I knew, and I thought this out, that if I said, I hate you and I hate God, that that would do the most damage to my parents. I planned it out. And this is the way that, that we are by nature. This is the flesh at work in us. I like to think that I wouldn't do that anymore. But there are times when I absolutely have chosen words that I knew would pierce. I chose them because I knew they were sharp enough to cause pain. Whether it was mocking someone or talking down to someone or just insulting someone even close to me. I can look back on certain moments in life when I said something like that and it took months, if not years, to restore that relationship. It led to hatred and resentment and wounds that were long and slow in healing. So we need to be wise before we speak and consider how it is we talk. How do you talk to others? For most of us here, it starts right in our homes, right in the church, in the relationships that that are, are right around us. I've seen people who I thought were the nicest guy. I thought, I thought this guy was so cool and friendly, and then he would get on the phone with his parents. And it was like Jekyll and Hyde, right? What would he talk with his parents? He was like, I know, I know, I know. I told you that already. Like, why do you keep asking me? Right? It was like a transformation. I've seen mothers speak to their children and husbands speak to their wives in ways that have nothing to do to build someone up. All they do is belittle that person in the tone and the choice of vocabulary that is used, even if what they were saying was true. You know, our tone can cause hurt. Why are you so forgetful? Why are you so dumb? What's going on in your mind? Right now, I can't stand you. You're so annoying to me. Those things might be true. But the way you say it matters. It can bring dishonor to the Lord. As Christians, in that moment, if you are a Christian, if you fear God, you need to see that this isn't the way God wants his people to speak. In James 1, James says that if a person thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, does not control his tongue, his religion is worthless. Contrast that with Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. God calls us to an incredibly high standard for our words. Now, we all stumble in many ways, but we need to see that there's hope. If you change how you speak to people in your life, your life can change for the better in tremendous ways. In relationships, with your kids, with your parents, with your spouse, with your friends, with your boss, in disagreements, in things that that are causing you so much trouble and difficulty and sleepless nights. There's precious wisdom in understanding how you speak. You need to know that as a Christian, you have the freedom to say anything and everything you ever need to say without being harsh. You know that? It's kind of mind-blowing. Sometimes we don't think that way. You actually can say every single word, every ounce of content God wants you to say in your life without ever being harsh in the way the Bible condemns. God calls us to a high standard, but it's a privilege as well. Our graciousness of speech, our restrained words, can bring peace in our lives and in the lives of those around you. What we're learning in these weeks 
in the Proverbs is that the same spirit who inspired the wisdom of the Bible is the same spirit who works in us. The same spirit who can give us wisdom if we ask for it. The same spirit who will help us to tame our tongues. As James said, no human being can tame the tongue, right? No one can do it on their own, but the spirit of God can work in you to put out those fiery flames in your life. Galatians 6, 8 says, whoever sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. There is hope and there is joy and there is power in your words if they're spoken in the way that God wants. As we think about how we speak, I don't think we can really talk about words like that without addressing the fact that nowadays people have very different views on what wisdom is when it comes to speech, how you speak. Um, We live in a constant cycle of being offended, right? A constant cycle of trying to think about what's correct nowadays to say or what you're no longer allowed to say or exactly how you're going to say it. Um, So we need to have a biblical perspective on this, not just a worldly perspective, a biblical perspective. Um, Personally, um, in my heart of hearts, I already told you I'm a hater. So as you can imagine, when people get offended, my natural response is to get annoyed, right? To be like, man, you got to just let that roll off your back, right? Don't worry about it. Who cares? Like, stop being a baby. That's my natural response. At the same time, if people in your life, everyone in your life, seems constantly too sensitive, well, maybe you got to look in the mirror first. Maybe the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that you are a bit foolish in how you speak. Maybe you need to consider the truth that your speech is the source of some of those problems. There is so much foolishness in allowing ourselves to say whatever we want, however we want. So we need to think about how we speak. There's one more thing we need to consider this afternoon when it comes to being wise with our speech to being better at speaking, and that is to consider when you speak. So you consider what you speak, you consider how you speak, but lastly, you also need to consider when you speak as well. According to the Bible, even if you have something good to say, and even if you're going to say it in the right way, there is still a right time and place to speak and a time and place to be quiet. You guys know the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job is uh, this wealthy, um, wise, just great guy. Uh, He loves God, and um, the devil uh, attacks him. And it causes him to go through this great affliction where he loses his family, or all his kids at least. He loses all his wealth. He loses his own health. He's in this incredible suffering and he has three friends. Now, Job is one of the wisest guys, it says, in the ancient world. And he has three other friends who are also really wise guys. And, and they come to him. And they want to, they, it says, they, they make a decision to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they arrive, they sit with him for seven days and seven nights, and they don't say anything. They just sit with him. They just, they just give him their presence. And as one of my Hebrew professors said, these men were great friends until they started speaking, until they started speaking, because they start speaking on day eight. They have all the wisdom to give Job in the midst of his suffering. And you know what? Most of that wisdom is technically true, and yet Job doesn't want it, and God isn't impressed by it. In the midst of Job's sorrow, in the midst of his pain, in the time of very serious trouble, they have all this advice for him, and it's not the right time. It's not the right time for them to be saying all these things. Job has just lost his family. 
On day eight, you're going to tell him, well, you know, Job, maybe it's because you sinned and forgot to uh, say something the right way a few weeks ago. These were some of the smartest guys in the land. They knew so much good stuff. If you read Job, that's why it can be a little bit confusing. They don't really say anything that's wrong. They're not heretics, but their words are not commended because they spoke when they ought to have listened. They rebuked when it would have been better to weep with him in his sorrow. And in the same way, we need to consider the time and place for our speech if we're going to grow in wisdom. So sometimes that means knowing the wrong time to speak. Um, over the past few weeks, my kids have um, developed a new habit for how to wake me up. And uh, what it is, is there's this tiny little MIDI piano that's connected to a book. It's really, I don't know, someone gave it to me as a gift. And it makes that, that noise, if you know what I mean, like that MIDI noise. It's like, eh, eh, but it's, it's, it's a note, but it sounds like a buzz. And, and they discovered this toy, rediscovered. And what they do is that they'll play it in the morning when I'm still asleep. Right in my bedroom, just, just showing me how much they love music. And um, it makes me incredibly frustrated. After a couple of days of being woken up by this sound, I literally told my kids the proverb, which I'm going to share with you. Proverbs 27.14. Okay, Proverbs 27.14, you can turn there. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Okay? Yeah. I love that proverb. Okay, one of my favorite proverbs. I love that it's in the Bible. It's so practical. Even my six and four-year-old understood what the proverb was saying. It's practical. It's great. Even if you have the best intentions, even if you are the gentlest person, even if they were playing Mozart in the morning, there's a lot of wisdom and understanding when to be silent. The person who, who wants to bless their neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning He's not really thinking about the person who's asleep. And that's it. He's not thinking about the person who's asleep. He's like, you know what? This is good. Right? I, got, I got a word to share. The other guy's asleep. You got to consider the other person. As a pastor, I speak to myself. Pastors always got to talk. You know, I've been to a lot of weddings in life. I always know when the dad of the wife is a pastor that he's going to talk forever at the banquet. He's going to tell all sorts of life lessons that he should have told on Sunday morning, not on Saturday night. We want to give our opinion on everything because we have an opinion on everything. But the Bible encourages us as a whole to be what slow to speak. You guys know that. To be slow to speak. So consider the other person. Consider whether it's the right time for them to hear what you want to say. There's a time when we shouldn't speak, but also we have to realize that sometimes there is a right time to speak. If we're going to be wise about this, we need to appreciate and identify the right times to speak. When is it when it will do the most good? Proverbs 25.11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken, a word for the right moment, the right word for the right time is precious. There are moments when the words match what's going on. And that is when your speech can be this life-giving blessing to others that God actually wants it to be. I was blessed uh, just this week by my sister, my older sister, calling me. Um, and uh, she was just calling. I mean, she had some excuse for why she was calling. But then she's like, okay, the reason I called is that I wanted to see how you were doing. I just wanted to catch up with you. I wanted to see how you are doing because 
she had seen that and she knew a pastor who this pastor had gone through a difficult time and ended up leaving the ministry. And um, this has happened a lot actually in America. She saw it in her own church and she wanted to call me. And she said, you know, I want you to know that you can always talk to me if you have anything that's going on in your life. If there's any difficulty you feel like you can't talk about with me, you can always talk with me. She wanted to encourage me and let me know that she was there for me. And that word was fitly spoken in the season. I'm not like a, a mushy guy. I, I moved away to Texas to leave my family, right? But it was precious, honestly. Like it was something that, that showed me that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs 15.23, similar proverb, says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Do you know how good it is to match your words to the proper season? How do you know how to do that, right? Maybe you're like, I, you know, I'm kind of, I, I don't socially get it. I'm not sure exactly when to do it. How do you do it? Well, it's kind of like how you dress appropriately for the season. The only way you're going to dress appropriately for the season is if you check what's going on outside. You take a look at your app. You can open up a window. You can step outside, but you need to get out of what's inside. You need to look at the outside. You need to look at the occasion. You need to look at the person. You need to think about the person who's going to hear what you have to say. And then you can speak appropriately for the season. In my early 20s, um, it was common for some of my guy friends to have this, um, this strange, unbiblical conviction. Okay? Uh, what would happen is that they would develop a crush on a girl, and they would have this singular purpose. They would think, I have to tell her now. I have to tell her right now that I like her. And I remember there were certain situations where it was actually extremely destructive. For example, when the girl was actually in another relationship. And I got that, I have to tell her now. Or when this guy was in a, another relationship. And like, you know what, I just have to tell this other girl that I, I have this profession of love. Why was it foolish? Why was it wrong? Isn't it just like, that's just what young adults do. That's just drama, right? Well, here's what the problem was. When those young men were, were, were saying their feelings in that moment without thought to the season, they weren't thinking about that other girl at all. They were thinking about themselves. They were getting something off their chest. They were hoping to change their situation for the better. They weren't thinking, is this the moment that she needs to hear it? But they were thinking, this is the moment I need to say it. Not, this is the moment that she needs to hear this thing to speak a fit word in season, to speak as fits the occasion, to speak at the right time, means we need to think, is this what that person needs to hear in this season? One area where this can concretely happen in our lives is in the area of correcting others, of rebuking others. There's a lot of talk about accountability in the church, and we need to know that there's wisdom for the time and place you do that for bringing up ways in which someone might need to grow and change, ways in which they might need to, to examine their lives. The Bible says we need to do this. We need to be helping each other grow in holiness and sanctifying one another. But there is wisdom in the timing of how we speak. And one of the worst times to say a word of correction is when you are in the heat of an argument with someone. Okay, you need to know this because I see it all the time. A lot of times the only time people say these things is when they're angry or in the heat of the moment. But that's the worst time. Let me give you an example. My spouse and I, hypothetically, have just had a disagreement over um, me being too controlling about uh, the dishwasher, for example. 
It hasn't exploded into anything yet. But there are definitely things said that we need to consider and think about and maybe cool off a bit and, and realize that not everything's a big deal. Biblically speaking, according to wisdom, that is not the right time for me to then talk about all the ways in which I'm a little critical of her parenting. If my words are, are going to be selfless and not self-serving, but focused on God and others, then the right time for that conversation is not in the midst of an argument, not when I want to use it to, to get uh, the last word in or when I'm frustrated or when I want to just get it off my chest. The time when it will do the most good is when we can sit down with no agenda, when things are going well, to think through how we can both grow as parents together. But that makes sense. That's wisdom. And it's so few of us put it into practice. The time when my words will do the most good is not when they will make me feel better. Okay, it's not just when it will make me feel better, but when they will point others to God and his purposes. We need to ask God to give us help to speak words that are fitting to the season. In the beginning of August uh, this year, we're going to have a one-day conference that is focused on gospel-centered counseling in the church. And this is just a practical way we can grow. Really, the idea is for us to learn how God wants us to, to, to use our words in the church to build one another up. To sometimes correct, sometimes to encourage, sometimes to exhort people. And we're going to learn together how, how to biblically respond to people. To use our words in the way that God wants. So we encourage you guys to do that if you have a chance. It's going to be, we'll talk about it more later, but in the beginning of August, we're going to have that one-day conference. It's an area we need to grow in as a church. And so we hope you'll take advantage of it. Wisdom in speech means that we recognize there is a right time and place to speak. A time when your words will do good. And then we choose to speak at those times. I know it's hard, okay? So here's one take-home application you can do this week if you're willing to do it. Grab lunch with someone you trust, someone you respect, and ask them, are there ways in which I need to grow in my speech? It's kind of scary, but, but you know, everyone's going to do it, so uh, we're all in it together. If you're willing, ask them, is there a way in which I need to grow in what I say, in how I say it, or even maybe the timing of my speech? Open the door to make the time right for that conversation. And if you get asked by someone to do this this week, <clears throat> the application for you is don't be a flatterer, okay? Don't be like, nah, there's nothing, you're good. Like, everything you say is like apples of gold to my ear. No, speak the truth in a loving, kind way. Encourage them, but also help them. Our words matter. We need to consider what we say, how we say it, and when we choose to speak. Years ago, um, I had a friend who told me that kind of in the way I'm talking about now, he told me that I needed to change how I talked. In particular, he said that I made fun of people too often. And I disagreed. I said, no, I'm just having fun. I'm just joking around. It's not a big deal. Uh, these things I say to make fun of people aren't rooted in reality. It's just for, for kicks. But then he disagreed with me over it. He said, no, everything that you're saying to make fun of someone, all these words you use to uh, joke about a person, there's at least 10% truth in what you're saying. And I remember I was so sure of myself. I was like, no, you're wrong. Right? I could say a lot of things to make fun of people that's not rooted in truth at all. There, there's 0% truth to it. In my mind, there didn't have to be a shred of truth to the statements I was making to use my words in this unwise way. I was just teasing. I was just trying to get a rise out of people. I was just trying to get the group to laugh. But the older I've become and the decade or so that's followed, 
the more I've tried to ask the Holy Spirit to examine my words and, and correct and lead me, I've come to the realization that my friend was, was more right than either of us actually knew. See, the Bible actually does say that the words that come out of your mouth when you're making fun of someone, for example, it's not just 10% true, it's 100% true. Not about that person, but about yourself. It's 100% true that it's revealing what was in my heart. It wasn't truth about the person I was making fun of. It was truth about who I was, and that was just coming out. Those hurtful words, those, those painful words, those harsh words were me. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words are consequential. They reveal what kind of person we are. They reveal our hearts. As we close our time together this afternoon, really the, the, the plea is simple. To consider all your words in light of God's word. What makes someone a foolish speaker? Well, it turns out that they, they, they're a kind of person who thinks that words are just words. That they don't matter. They're inconsequential. They're no big deal. If you want to start getting better at speaking, the first place is just to realize your words are so much more. Your words, the things that you say, the things that you text, the things that, that, that you yell or whisper are a reflection of your hearts, a reflection of who you are. And so what Jesus is saying in Matthew 12 is not that there's some sort of special word you can say to get to heaven. He's not preaching a works righteousness that if you say the right things, then God will have to accept you. No, that's not it at all. We know that's not what the gospel is about. But what Jesus is saying is that the person who actually knows God the person who has been redeemed and forgiven and cleansed and justified will speak like it. So let's consider our speech together. God speaks and we speak. And he says that our speech should be more like his. There are words that can lead to death. There are words that can lead to freedom and life. And if you are a Christian, Jesus died, took the punishment for every hurtful word for every hater thing, for every unkind phrase and condemning statement you have made. And he did so not that you could just keep on speaking as you have before, but that you might be freed and by the grace of God that you might learn with all of us to speak better. Let's pray. Father God, uh, your word is practical. Your word is convicting. Your word reminds us and shows us of the ways in which we still struggle with the flesh. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, because he took the punishment for our sins and rose again, for those of us who believe in him, we have your spirit. And so I pray, God, that right now, uh, we wouldn't fill this time with, with a bunch of words, but that we would receive from you the ministry of your spirit to begin to change us, to mold us, to, to form us into the image of your son, Jesus. We want to be like him. So help us, Lord, to talk like him. 
Help us to, to know that our time on earth and, and the words we say are limited. They can be used for foolishness or they can be used for your purposes, for your glory, for the good of everyone around us. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.